Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning, Jacobswell. I am uh, one of the ruling elders here. My name is Stephen Burton. If I haven't met you yet, feel free to grab me after the service. You might know my wife or my kids. We've, uh, we're definitely uh, in, the, in the fabric here at the church. So, um, Dan, Pastor Dan is on vacation. We also have the good privilege of the, the Whitleys, if you guys are familiar with Pastor Jonathan, who used to be the associate pastor here for many years. Say hi to him and his family. And, uh, oh, let me start with a question. I'm not supposed to lose these. My wife likes these. Um, can anyone tell me what the difference is between this one and this one? Not one's bigger than the other. That's true. But one's a teaspoon and the other one is a tablespoon, right? Um, and when you follow the recipe to a meal, actually, uh, one makes a One can lead to a perfect meal, and the other one can lead to a perfect disaster. Um, I am not a good cook, mainly because I don't make it a priority to be a good cook. And and since I don't make it a priority, that usually means I don't pay attention to the details, to recipes. And since I don't pay attention, my meals are pre-planned for failure. Um, When I was dating a young lady, I... uh, had this bright idea that I would prepare a meal for her. And uh, I attempted to make lasagna, and the lasagna recipe called for two and a half teaspoons of red pepper flakes, and I put in two and a half tablespoons of red pepper flakes, and uh, the alarm bell should have been ringing when I almost used an entire container of red pepper flakes in lasagna, and it makes a big difference, makes a big difference. So my meal was not the perfect meal. Um, So she came over, we had lasagna, it was a disaster. We could not get more than one bite into this thing. Um, But she still married me. So now I say love is two and a half tablespoons of red pepper flakes. So I start with that to show that date nights used to be like this precious thing that I got to spend time with someone special. And uh, now that I'm married, I don't necessarily cherish my date nights like I used to. I used to look forward to them. They used to be something I celebrated, but now I, I tend to take them for granted. Um, sadly, sometimes I come to the Lord's Supper this way. Instead of celebrating this meal, I'm usually thinking about lunch plans or what do I got going on this afternoon, and often I forget the meaning of this supper, and I just participate in it because it's become routine. Let me ask you, have you guys experienced this towards the Lord's Supper? The truth is, God calls his people to celebrate as a way of remembrance. We see this in the Old Testament with the festivals and feasts. We also will see this in Revelation when the return of our king will be one big celebration. 
Um, the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because Jesus commands us to do it in remembrance of him. In today's passage, we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to celebrate the final Passover and his institution of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus, therefore the followers of Jesus should celebrate it. We're going to look at three things. We should celebrate the Lord's Supper because it was prepared for the followers of Jesus, it was pre-planned for the followers of Jesus, and it was made perfect for the followers of Jesus. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 25. It should be 850 in the red Bibles, in the pew Bibles in front of you. Mark chapter 14, verse 12 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, Teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have said to your people, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and, where, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. We as your people ask for the ancient path, and to know the good way, the truth, and the life which is in Christ, who promised us rest for our weary souls. We pray for the Spirit's revelation so that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. Impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So, before diving into this passage, we actually have a lot of vital context to understand what Jesus and his disciples are engaging in. This is... Jerusalem during Holy Week. This is Jesus' final ministry on earth. This is Thursday. This is the day before his crucifixion. This is 
uh, the day before Good Friday. And also, Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas has already sealed the deal with the Pharisees to have Jesus delivered over at the opportune time. So, verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Verse 12, (laughs) The festival of unleavened bread, if you're familiar with the story of Moses in the Old Testament, is the day they were celebrating God's judgment against Egypt when they had been passed over uh, from death. They were covered by the blood of the lamb, if you guys remember, and death passed over their houses. The entire chapter 12 of Exodus gives us all the details. We're going to look at a little bit of a passage from Exodus. We're going to look at 12, 17 through 19. And it says, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day... I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. And in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. So we see in this passage that God commands the specifics to the Passover, but it also shows that no leaven was to be in their houses during this period of time. There's two other things it shows is that this was to be done regularly and forever, which we see in verse 17. And then also, those who do not participate in this are cut off from the congregation. That's in verse 19. And the reason for this is because this represented those who were beneficiaries of God's covenant. And in covenant, in this context, is a promise between God and man that he will be their God and they will be his people. And we see this throughout, weaved into all the Old Testament covenants. Um, We're going to pick up on this word a little bit later because Jesus uses this word when he institutes the Lord's Supper. So it's kind of a, a big deal. So this is the soil in which Jesus is transforming the Passover into the Lord's Supper. So these are a lot of vital details. Um, What about the leaven? God commanded his people to abstain from leaven for seven days in remembrance of them being removed from Egypt. Leaven was a symbol for sin. Recall that they were leaving an idolatrous nation and going to become a nation for God. They were fleeing the gods of Egypt. Uh, in verse 12 of that chapter of Exodus 12, it says the judgment was against the gods of Egypt. Um, and Deuteronomy chapter 16 picks up on that and explains this a little bit better. But So the Feast of Unleavened Bread began with Passover, represented being covered by the blood of the Lamb, and then they were to abstain from sin moving forward for seven days. So it should sound familiar. Once you are covered by the blood of the Lamb, you're supposed to remove yourself from sin. It's kind of the relationship. Um, So that's the context that we're digging into. So let's start with point one. Why should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? We should celebrate the Lord's Supper because it was prepared for the followers of Jesus. Let's go back to verse 12. It says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? 
And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared Passover. So how does Jesus prepare his followers for the Lord's Supper? By giving them the details, a lot of details. This passage is loaded with details, which is very uncharacteristic for the Gospel of Mark. Mark is similar to like a newspaper. It's supposed to be direct, quick transitions, um, but this is purposely slowed down, given lots of details. And and the reason is because the details matter coming to the Lord's Supper. It's Mark's way of preparing the followers of Jesus and showing that there's building up to something of high priority that's going on. Um, Also notice that who's giving all of the details in this passage? Um, It's Jesus, because he's the one in authority. And if you guys are familiar with a couple of expressions from the Gospel of Mark, is if you followed with us in this series, is that uh, he taught them as one who had authority. Um, and the reason Jesus has authority over all the details is because, one, this is his supper. Therefore, he can tell us how he can conduct it or how we're supposed to conduct it. And second is because it's dangerous when we don't follow the details given by the one who's in authority, especially when it comes to worship. You may recall... Uh, Last year, Ron preached on a passage on Uzzah and the ark in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, the ark represented God's presence in worship. And the number one rule was, don't touch the ark or you'll die. And that's in Numbers chapter 4. But, uh, and as we saw, Uzzah reached out to steady the ark when it had tipped, and he was immediately struck dead. And it showing us that even with good intentions, if you don't abide by the details, it's dangerous. So um, to kind of help illustrate that, uh, they were transporting an object of God's that was high priority on a new ox cart. So that's how the enemies of God transported their idols, first off. So if you trusted me to babysit your infant child and I decided to use my trash can as a stroller the one I use Thursday mornings to push to the curb, I can have good intentions. Think about it. It's got wheels, got a handle, it's easy to push, even got a lid for shade if I want to put it down. How would your reaction be to that? Not good. This is your child. You're the one in authority. You give the details on how to take care of this kid. You tell me not to give it peanuts, don't give it peanuts, right? So The bottom line is, it's not that you're just doing it, but how you are doing it, because this is a high priority to God, and he gives us the details. So therefore, we should stick to those details. Um, So Jesus is giving us the details leading up to the Lord's Supper in this passage, but Jesus also gives us the details on how we are to engage in the Lord's Supper, which we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You um, You guys need to know What are the details before engaging in the Lord's Supper? Um, Because obedience to those details are important. In your bulletins, there's actually a QR code. If you scan it, don't do it now. It'll It'll take you to 
a lot of explanations on how to do the Lord's Supper, when and how to. Um, we also have some packets on the well, as Katie mentioned. And um, because obeying the commandments of God in worship is good for our souls, but also for our own protection. So, and that's specifically stated in 1 Corinthians 11 about eating and drinking judgment on those who do not discern the body of Christ or observe the Lord's Supper properly. That's why the pastors safeguard it and also ask you to uh, make sure that you've made a profession of faith prior to engaging in those elements. Um, so now we see kind of why the details of how Jesus has prepared his followers for the Lord's Supper. Let's look at why we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, because it was pre-planned for the followers of Jesus. You will look at verse 17. It says, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. For it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So what are some things in this passage that show that Jesus' final night, final week was pre-planned? Well, there's actually three things in this passage. One, it's First one is, according to Jesus, this was pre-planned. If you look at verse 18, it says that somebody was going to betray him, which is a general statement. But then at verse 20, he narrows it down to, it's going to be one of the 12. This would have been shocking, because um, this is the first time they would have mentioned it was actually one of the disciples that was going to betray him. But then he narrows it further down to one who is dipping his hand in the dish with him. Those are pretty specific details. And, new, and it shows that Jesus... Uh, knew exactly who was going to betray him. Uh, he's, but he doesn't stop it. He's orchestrating these events according to his plans. At any moment, he could have just said, it's Judas, get him. But he didn't, because this, this is going to according to his plan. Um, in this passage, we also see that this is also going according to Scripture. This is pre-planned according to Scripture. It says in verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. There are numerous passages in the Old Testament that prophesied about the betrayal of the Messiah. But Jesus is actually referencing one of them here in this passage. The verse right before it, in verse 20, is actually a reference to Psalm 41.9. I think we got it on the screen. It says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. In context, this isn't talking about the heel of the bread. This is talking about your heel heel. This is considered the worst type of treachery, to share a meal with somebody than to betray them. To lift your heel against somebody would mean to go in the opposite direction, to go into the camp of the enemy. So not only is this pre-planned according to Jesus and also according to Scripture, but this is also pre-planned according to our own free will. If you look at the rest of verse 21, it says, I'll read, actually I'll read all of 21. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This woe, or curse, pronounced upon Judas for his own actions is so bad that it would have been better if he had never existed. And at the same time, 
This event was pre-planned. This was going to happen. When looking at these statements, which Scripture puts side by side, we really struggle with this. This is a, a, one of the clearest passages in the, old, uh, in, the, in the Bible that has pre-planned events side by side with, God, uh, with man's free will. And we really struggle with this notion. But the Bible puts them next to each other throughout the Bible. Um, to help illustrate this, Tim Keller who recently passed, he was a pastor of a church in New York City, he was a writer and church planter. Uh, he had an illustration to help kind of show this a little bit. So this is his illustration, he'd say, um, on how he planted his church. Tim Keller planted Redeemer Church because he entered a Presbyterian denomination that encouraged church planting. Why we encourage Jonathan's church planting. Keller entered a denomination in the last semester of seminary because he took a course from a pastor who convinced him to adopt Presbyterian theology. That professor arrived at the seminary last minute uh, because he had visa problems. He was from a different country. And because of these visa problems, the dean of the seminary uh, was praying on how he was going to get this professor to come to the seminary, and his prayer partner just happened to be Mike Ford. Mike Ford just happened to be the president, uh, son of the president, Gerald Ford, who was the sitting president of the United States, uh, and he was able to resolve these visa problems. Gerald Ford was the president of the United States because Richard Nixon resigned. Richard Nixon resigned because a bunch of burglars got caught breaking into offices. Uh, those burglars were caught because uh, one of the burglars didn't close the door, left it, lat, uh, left it open by about two inches, and a night watchman just happened to walk by and catch the door that was open. So Tim Keller would say, if the door had been latched two more inches, he wouldn't have planted his church in New York City. So, uh, so he'd say his church was started by Watergate, which is it's an interesting illustration, but the best <laughs> illustration for this is actually the cross itself. When we, by our own free will, sinfully condemned the only innocent man to walk the earth, and we used a torture device to execute him. But God was able to turn that around and use it according to his plan to save the world. Uh, Peter says this in Acts chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's your predestination. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Another word for lawless is sin. Church, I can give you a long list of past, uh, scripture passages that state that God is in control of all things and not the author of sin. I can also give you a matching set of scripture passages that say that we are responsible for our actions. And I love getting into these debates, especially with Christians about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I know a lot of you guys do too, because I've gotten into those arguments with you. And uh, I'm not saying this actually to my my to be proud. I'm actually saying this to my shame because a lot of those discussions have been more, have produced more heat than they did light. Been a lot, they weren't edifying, let's say. Um, when we get into these wrestling matches about God's uh, sovereignty and our free will, we really miss the point how we try to intellectualize those things. The Bible uses 
pre-planned events in two ways. One is to aid our belief in Jesus, and the other is for our celebration. A parallel passage to our scripture passage today is John chapter 13. And in it, it says, um, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. That's our, that's our mirror passage to what we're reading today. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It's quoting Psalm 41.9. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. These pre-planned events are to reveal who Jesus is in Scripture. The other reason the Bible reveals predestination or pre-planned events is for our celebration. In the book of Revelation, God pre-planned to save his people, and all of heaven is erupting. All interpretations of of Revelation hold that in common, whether it was pre-planned and it happened in the first century, or it's pre-planned and it's occurring throughout centuries, or it's all going to happen in one future century. The point is we're all celebrating because God made plans and they came to completion. So let's follow what the Bible instructs us to do. Let's celebrate that God can maintain free will and pre-planned events running simultaneously, and that he does not allow Judas's sin or our own sin to thwart his plans, but rather turns them around to accomplish his own plans. These pre-planned events in this passage of the Lord's Supper is to reveal who Jesus was uh, and who he is, something that which we should celebrate. So now that we've uh, seen that the Lord's Supper was prepared for the followers of Jesus and pre-planned for the followers of Jesus, let's look at why we should celebrate the Lord's Supper because it was made perfect for the followers of Jesus. Let's, uh, let's go to verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they, drank, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God." There's three things that are perfect about this meal. First is Jesus is offering his perfect payment. Jesus is also offering his perfect life, and he's also offering us a perfect invitation. We're actually going to start with verse 23. We'll come back to 22. I want to show you what the payment is. In verse 23, it says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they, said, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant is poured out for many. Recall this is Passover. The disciples had just finished eating the lamb. They had witnessed the blood being sprinkled against the altar. This is, this is what they do at Passover. Jesus is saying that he is that lamb whose blood will pay for their sins. The parallel, passage, uh, the parallel passages of the Lord's Supper plainly state this. They say that this was for the forgiveness of sins. But Mark says the same thing, but in a little bit more profound way. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This expression, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, is two Old Testament passages put together. The first passage comes from Exodus, as you would probably guess. Um, 
And it says in Exodus, Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant. There's our words. That the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood sealed an agreement, sealed the covenant. Covenant actually means literally to cut. So this was an oath bound by blood. And here in this passage, the people of God are making a covenant with God that he will be their God and they will be his people if they obey his commandments. If they don't obey his commandments, it's going to be payment by death. Jesus is saying this is my blood of the covenant, meaning that he's going to shed his blood instead of you for breaking the covenant with God. Praise Jesus. <laughs> That's the first half. The second half, which says, is poured out for many, comes from Isaiah 53. And then it, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, with the many, and he and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Our words, and make many. Mentioned numerous times in that passage, all of Isaiah 53 and even the preceding chapters talk about this. Um, he bore the sins of many, to make intercession means that Jesus is going to mediate the relationship and reconcile our broken relationship back to God. That uh, we broke with sin, he is now going to heal by making the payment. But if you look at verse 11 carefully, it says, and make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So there's actually two things that are required. One is the payment for our iniquities, that's our sin, and the other is to be righteous, which is perfection. Which brings us to the second thing that Jesus is actually offering in the Lord's Supper, his perfect life. Um, we'll, now we'll go back to 22. So Jesus paid our sin that was against God, paid our sin debt, which brings us back to square one, meaning we would be back in the same spot that Adam was in the garden, meaning you would have to live perfection from there on. So Jesus paid your debt, so your bank account was in the negative, he paid it, you're now back at zero. That's not all he offers, though. He offers his, he offers his perfect payment, but he also provides us his perfect life. Now, verse 22 says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Jesus is offering himself as our, as our substitute, both in his death by his blood, but also in his perfect life, by his body. Jesus did not just show up on Good Friday and then return to heaven right after the, after the resurrection. He had to live a perfect life on earth to be in obedient to God's law. Jesus is saying in the Lord's Supper that his death is going to fulfill two components that were ne necessary for reconciliation to God. The perfect payment and the perfect life. The fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the penalty for breaking the law. So the Passover was a reminder of how ugly sin was and to drive us to see 
what would be the perfect payment for God. The law was to show us that we could not live up to these standards and that we needed someone who could live it up perfectly for us. This is what Jesus is saying in the Lord's Supper and pointing to the cross, saying this is what's actually going to be taking place tomorrow. And he's offering it to his followers. Those who place their faith in Jesus are now in union with Christ in his life and in his death. And those who, are, who, who accept this accept his perfect invitation to a future meal. Which we, brings us to verse 25. And it says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is at the end of the age when Jesus returns. Matthew's account makes it more plain by saying that Jesus will not eat and drink with you. Oh, Jesus, sorry. Jesus will eat, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We see this ultimately being fulfilled in Revelation chapter 19. Where it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There's a lot of celebration going on in the Lord's Supper. But recall, this is, this is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. This is his last meal. Um, Jesus doesn't ignore this fact, but is actually turning it around from his funeral to a celebration. Some of you have attended funerals in which typically afterwards you get together and you have a meal. This meal they call a repast which brings up a lot of great discussions about fond memories of the person who's recently passed. But that's not what's going on in this meal. This is actually more like a refuture. This is Jesus talking about the fond memories that are coming after his death, not in the past, but what's coming in the future. So God is uh, going to be prepared, or Jesus is actually here preparing the perfect meal for us in his death. I have been to different churches, and I've heard people describe why they go to different churches. Some say they have excellent music, or they have excellent children's ministry, or they have great preaching, or, or they have the total package like they have at Jacob's Well. Those are all good things for a church to have. But Christians, we need to be boasting about a church's observance of the Lord's Supper. Let us not take this meal for granted. This was the one thing that connected us back to Jesus' first followers. They, we are engaging in the very same thing the apostles did with Jesus. Think about it. This was Jesus' last instructions to his disciples to do in remembrance of him, his last teaching before his death. We don't sing the same songs that they sang, or at least not in the same language. We don't worship in the same location that they did, but we observe the Lord's Supper just like they did. The Lord's Supper is worth celebrating because it was prepared Preplanned and made perfect for the followers of Jesus. 
I've spent the majority of the time telling you why you should celebrate the Lord's Supper, but let me explain how this can be done. First, this can be done in thanksgiving, in the present, because Jesus prepares this for us in fellowship today for our spiritual strengthening. It should be done in reflection of the past, at the awestruck wonder of God's plans being completed and how he brought salvation to his people, washing away our sin and making us righteous. And it should be done in proclamation of the future, that those who accept this perfect payment will join Jesus at the marriage supper. This is just a pre-celebration of one to come. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned how I sometimes become complacent with priorities and goof things up, and sometimes that's okay. Um, but other times that's not okay. I did not grow up in Wisconsin, and I'm originally from Georgia, and all my family are from living states far, far away. And I moved here because of college and career. They brought me to Green Bay, but I, I did not make it a priority to get back to my family to celebrate. And my mother died of a stroke, stroke at 62, and my children never got to meet her. And it was the one thing that hurt me the most at the funeral is that I did not make it a priority to get together with my family to celebrate. I took it for granted. But God can use my faults and turn them around for good. Getting together to celebrate as a family is now a very high priority to me. My children get to see my family and my extended family multiple times a year now. And by God's grace, I don't take that for granted. I plan and I prepare months in advance to meet with my family, and every time we get together, celebrate. You know why we celebrate the Passover? Or, sorry, the Lord's Supper? You know why we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Because it was a high priority to Jesus that we come together as a family to celebrate. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of the gospel that we have weekly, where we get together as a family and celebrate what Jesus accomplished for us a physical, tangible illustration of God's promise that was fulfilled in Christ. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we understand this and commune with Jesus. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we commune with each other at this meal. And it's also by the power of the Holy Spirit that we don't take this for granted. Let us ask the Spirit to prepare our hearts to celebrate this meal together. Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We thank you for this word which you have given us. We pray for its application to our souls and that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. We praise you for the good news of the gospel. We pray for the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf as we engage in this meal as a family. We ask this all in your Son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.